Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. God to touch us and touch those in Sunday school and um, touch us this day. Father, we thank you, holy God. We love you. We praise you. Father, we ask you this day, right now, in Jesus' name, that you would touch us, anoint us. We thank you for your anointed word, God. Anoint us, I pray, in Jesus' name, that you would touch our mind, our hearts, Lord God. Help us to forget tomorrow and only dwell on you and dwell on this moment, Lord God. Touch us, I pray. Touch every teacher, Lord God. As your word goes forth, Lord God, I pray. Be with us, Lord God. Strengthen us, Lord God, I pray. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. I'm going to start the lesson, and it says, What God says is true. And it's going to be speaking of the angel that goes to Zechariah. And so it picks up in the middle, basically, of what... um, what is happening but let's go back and I'll just I'll just read something a little bit in the uh, in the beginning of that chapter before we get to and I'm going to start at the sixth chapter and it speaks of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth and it says and they was both righteous before God walking in in all the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord blameless and they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they was both well, now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying uh, without at the time of the incense and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense and when Zechariah saw him he was troubled and fear fell upon him and the angel said unto him fear not Zechariah for thy prayer is heard and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear a son and thou shalt call his name John and thou shalt have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth for he, shall, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord uh, their God. Now 17 goes back all the way to Malachi to the 400 years. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the uh, disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is telling us what is happening up to this point. Now, 
It's a saying I said last time, I'm going to say again, people is just people. So we can look at this as something that happened a long time ago, and what is that to us? Well, let's read. How does that affect us? Now, we have, re we have read what occurred. He, he is a priest. He's in the temple performing his duties. Gabriel, if you look at him, there's only two times he's mentioned, and that's in Daniel, and there's only two times he's mentioned in the New Testament. One of them is here, and the other one is to Mary. But he's here talking to Zechariah while he's in the temple performing his duties. And he's telling him, you're fixing your wife and is fixing to have a son. And in 18, he says, and Zechariah said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? And he says, wait a minute. Now, how in the world Am I going to confirm this? Now, it's Gabriel talking to him. And he says, you know what? Is there anybody else I can go to besides you, <laughs> besides you Gabriel? You think maybe the Lord could come down, you know, that I could confirm it? And the reason I say people's just people, what would we do? We always go to the natural terms of life to the natural rules of life. You know, I'm old, my wife is old, so it's just, it's just not happening. And what was your name again? Oh, that's right, you're Gabriel. So, okay, let's, let, let's, whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. And the angel said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and I am sent to speak unto thee and to show these, uh, these glad tidings. And he said, I am here because of your prayer. Apparently from this, and I think we can say with assurity that they had been praying for a child for a long time because they were old and well-stricken in years. So apparently this, this prayer had been for a long time. And Gabriel's here to tell him, said, your prayer has been answered. And he's like, I want to confirm that. I want to get a second opinion. And he's telling him, you know, behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. I've come to tell you, you're in the temple. God sends his, shall we say, his number one angel to you to tell you that your prayer's been heard, it's going to be answered, and you want a second opinion, okay? When we get through smiling, I don't want to throw cold water on it because I'm throwing it on me too. But how much has unbelief cost us? God has given us his word. When a God-called, God-anointed man has preached to us, has preached his heart out unto us, these promises of God, and we say, <laughs> he don't know me. He don't know the circumstances I'm up against. You know, that just, that's just too much. And we look at natural occurrences to stop things that can happen. Yeah, but he don't know really what's in front of me. And God is saying, I have given you everything you need. I will send a man your way to preach to you what can happen. And we are just like Zechariah. Now, can I get a second opinion on this, you know? And he's telling him, thou shalt be dumb. 
you're not going to be able to speak until the time that this is performed. It's going to be brought to pass. And you know what? Because you didn't believe it, you're not going to be able to say a word. But we see this, and he speaks, and he brings this. 17, like I said, is the one that it goes all the way back to the 400 years of silence. This is at the end of uh, Malachi 4, 5, and 6, the very last words. And it's saying, and he tells them literally in chapter uh, 4, I, I think it is in 4, verse 4, remember ye my law. There's going to be 400 years of silence. But one thing, Israel, I want you to do is do not forget my law. Don't forget my law. And then he said, because I'm going to send this. Now, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And the, the writer of this lesson tells the story like this. He says, you may remember your first dog. I remember mine. He says, she died a week um, she died a week before Easter. And when he went to the Sunday school, he asked his teacher if he would see his dog in heaven. And the teacher was trying every answer she could to be kind about it. And finally, she just said, probably not. You probably won't see your dog in heaven. And, of course, he asked, why not? Why won't I see my dog in heaven? And she just finally told him, said, dog, dog's are not people. They don't have souls. And so him being a small child said, uh, oh, why don't they have souls? So he's thinking, well, that's a pretty big oversight. So, and then he asked the teacher, have you ever seen my dog? My dog's it. It can do everything. So he keeps, he keeps on, and then finally the teacher, just in frustration, she just stops him and said, look, that's just the way it is. And you've got to live with it. So he, he remembers that statement. And then later he said he remembered just the indifference he found at that statement toward his sorrow. That's just the way it is. So he remembered, he makes a statement, he remembered when his grandmother passed away. He said if the world should have ever stopped, it should have stopped when his grandmother passed away. But one thing that he's noticed, that as rough as it is, life goes on. Life goes on. And he says that if there should have been somebody that wrote a, wrote a, a, a documentary or made a movie or, or done something, but nobody done nothing. There was just a little old, little old 50-word uh, Type put in a thing right side a, a ad for uh, on a hardware store that he said it was always put, and but he said, but this woman lived through the Spanish flu, the Great Depression, World War II, the Korean conflict, the Vietnam War. She gave birth to seven citizens, and married was married sixty years, kept the faith, and fought the good fight for nine decades. But that's just the way it is. That's just life. That's just the way it is. He said he could hear his Sunday school teacher saying, that's just the way it is. The course of the world goes on with little regard to us. Life just goes on. That's just the way it is. But the biblical record, however, testifies of a Messiah who just did not accept the course 
of the world. He could change it. When he came across seems to be inherently different or unchangeable, he changed them anyway. If he wanted them changed, he just changed them. For the very beginning of the gospel story, we see God turn back the normal course of the world. The normal course of the world was not his way. So if he wanted to change something, he would just change it. John the Baptist was prophesied to be the forerunner of Jesus. He would be the voice in the wilderness crying during the, in this time period. The angel Gabriel prophesied that Zechariah's son John would go before the, him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And indeed, when he came of age, he was found in the wilderness. That's where John was found. The wilderness was a place of trial and testing, but it was also a traditional place where the word of the Lord was delivered to God's special messengers. It was that place. And God often used prophecy to prove that he is God. Only God, only God can know the future. And then when somebody, when someone prophesies of a future reality and it comes to pass, then it becomes evident that God has spoken to that person. Now, the promise given to Zechariah seemed impossible. Zechariah and his wife were long, were long past childbearing years. For he said, whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. Indeed, often the course of this world often militates against the solutions to our problems. This is why God's problems are often hidden inside the impossible. And sometimes I think that is why we have such an issue with God's promises. Because we live in this world, I hate to say it, we think like this world, and then when we come in and the preacher's preaching something that's not of this world, need I say it rubs the wrong way with us? And it's just... Is just how much have we how much have we let the world affect us? We live in this world, but this world is not our home. And just when Zacharias, when he looked at Gabriel and said, "I'm old, my wife is old," that was the truth. He wouldn't state nothing that wasn't true. But it's an issue that we face right now. When God tells us we can do the great and we have these precious promises, what do we look through? Human eyes. We live in a world that won't even hardly now acknowledge there's a God. And then when we come in and the preacher's just all over the place jumping, screaming, hollering, God's for you, he's blessed you, he's gonna do this, he's gonna do that. And we, is he talking to me? Is he really talking to me? And God has these promises. They are yea and amen. And I'm, I'm like Zechariah, you know, but, but I'm still looking through these human eyes. And God is saying through his man, no, no. 
quit looking through human reasoning. If I don't like the course of this world, God can change it. If you're facing a wall, God will just move the wall. All I can see is a wall, and God says, don't let the wall scare you. I'll just move it. And But all we see is just circumstances of this life facing us, and we're, we're just... Life is life. People's just people. Zacharias is a perfect example for today. I'm old. My wife is old. So tell me your name again. So the angel charged Zechariah with not believing the message. Like Zechariah, we learn the ways of the world and we put more stock in the rules than we do in the creator. We tend to cling to the ways like it has always been. And we, we just cannot let that affect us. It's true. We live in this world. We have to survive in this world. But praying, seeking God, seeking his will. I mean, God knows who we are, where we live, what we live in, the circumstances we live in. So God knows us individually, what we face. And when we come to church, it is not like we're a clone and everybody faces the same thing. God knows us as individuals. So it's where we are at. So when we come into the God's presence and, and, and then collectively come into God's presence, he deals with us where we are at. So that's why if the preacher gets up there and preaches uh, something that we've heard a, a, a thousand times, don't say, oh, man, it is preached from the content that you have never heard before. And it's dealing with something that you need right now. And that is why only God can do that. Only God can do that and bring us to something that we need and something that we can't live without. He can bring us, if, if we could go back to the time of Christ, we would hear these voices struggling to cope with the same perception of universal indifference saying, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. People looking and they just, well, how can I get to there? I'm only at A. How can I get to B? This is so much in front of me. And God is saying, all you need to do is ask. Ask and believe me. Use my authority in my word. I can get there. And then it's just, that's just the way it is. There was a people before philosophers, they was called Stoics. Their answer to the problem was just to understand the world works in a certain way and the sooner we acknowledge it and go along with it, the better off we will be. Don't get so wrapped up in trying to change the unchangeable things. They said, calm down, accept it, do the best you can and play the hand that nature gave you and you will find peace and perhaps even joy. This was a real group of people. <laughs> called the Stoics. Their irony is in the fact that these philosophers were named after Stoa or the porches in which they sat under trying to find relief from the hot Mediterranean sun. They're going to sit under there. They're going to solve all the problems. And they said it was a place to hide from the withering indifference of the world. Now, has the human race really gone through eons of struggle, wrestling and mortal combat with reality only come 
finally, at the age of the Stoics, only whose battlefield with a mind is to answer everything and shrug our shoulders and say, that's just the way it is. It shouldn't be the God-bought apostolic people of God. Whatever the way it is to the world, it does not have to be that way in God's church. It doesn't have to be that way. Yes, we're individuals. Yes, we do things. But the one thing we do not have to do is accept that's just the way it is. If we have faith enough to believe God. And one stoic philosopher wrote it this way. All nature is but art unknown to thee. All chance direction which thou canst, can, uh, canst not see. All discord harmony not understood. All partial evil universal good. All spite of pride and erring reason spite. One truth is clear. Whatever is, is right. Now, if you've ever heard a beautiful lie, that's it. That's just accepting what it is, what will be. No, sir. No, sir. Not God's church. Eyes that see suffering and discord, but a mouth that says it's not discord, it's just harmony misunderstood. There are no weeds, only roses by another name. Not in God's church. We're not going along with it. We're not going to just put up with it. A century ago, George Bernard Shaw said that a reasonable man looks upon the world and adapts himself to it, while the unreasonable man looks upon the same world but expects it to adapt unto him. And the stoic worldview is still much alive today. Most of the self-help industry and televangelism consists of warmed over stoicism. Underneath this hollow and heartless wisdom, the message is, the whole task in life is not fixing the problems in the world. It's adapting to the world. But the Bible points us in another direction. For we have a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what it's like. The Bible says he was tempted in all points as we are tempted. And when you look that up, all points means every, every conceivable way you could be tempted God was tempted. That's why he knows. He knows what it's like. The angel gave proof of the truth to God's word by silencing the priest. In part, this involuntary silence was an echo of the silence of prophecy during the so-called silence years. Now, the divine prophecy returned with the birth of John in the process Zechariah learned that God's word can be trusted regardless of the way things seem to work. Now, the Bible even tells us that John was going to be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Now, that is truly remarkable. Here in the story of Jesus is refreshing. He has consistently um, insisted God's word. He consistently um, Insisted God's word is final. The course of the world is subject to God's plan and not the other way around. For instance, Jesus walked up to a tree in early spring expecting to find fruit. Long before he would have been able um, to bear, long before it would have been able to bear fruit. Not only did he expect fruit there to be picking in late March, five months before the harvest, but when he saw no leaves and but when he saw leaves and no fruit, he expect 
he expressed frustration and cursed the tree. Now, Jesus goes up to the tree. It's got leaves. The Bible says when you read the story that he was hungry. He had a reason to go to the tree. And the disciples was with him. The disciples, the Bible even make mentions that disciples heard him say it. It's like it, it sort of startled them. It's like, did he really just do this? He went up there, it had leaves, and, but no fruit. And here was Jesus. Okay, the man that wrote the lesson said it was, wouldn't have fruit for five more months. But this is Jesus. He, he was hungry. He wanted fruit. So he cursed this tree no more. So I don't know. That's why God's word is true. He can do what he wants. Or look at it this way. The first Adam went to the fig tree. He was looking for a covering, all right, but he was looking for a covering to hide. The last Adam went to the tree looking for nourishment. And when it didn't have nourishment, he cursed it, period. Now, there's a lesson in that, but I'll leave it alone. Now, the 12 disciples that was with him, that's why I believe it sort of startled them. You've got the leaves and no fruit? That didn't make Jesus happy at all. But the Bible says his disciples heard him and it made mention of it. So they was thrown off, I believe, by Jesus because of the record of the event reverted to a kind of, res uh, of a respectful statement. After Jesus cursed, cursed the tree, the text says, and the disciples heard him say it. If, and it goes like if we hadn't heard him say it with our own ears, how could you expect a tree to yield fruit in March. Well, you can if you're the Lord. You know, that's just the way it is. Don't apply to him. And what we have to keep in our mind so many times when the world and when troubles or trials overwhelm us, Lord, help us not to look through these eyes and think that's just the way it is. We drive ourselves crazy thinking... Oh, man, what is it going to take to fix this? And here's Jesus standing at a tree five months before, before it's supposed to yield fruit and says, you know what? You won't yield any more fruit. And just so, just let God's word be God's word in our lives. Let it quit causing, let unbelief quit causing God's word to, not to do what it's supposed to do. So they take, and, and this happens. But this Jesus of Nazareth behavior, the gospel writers, but they testified. Jesus, they followed, did not, did not look at human behavior and say, that's just the way it is. The reasonable person says, I cannot fix a problem, it's too big, but I can fix my attitude toward the problem. Well, the problem is the constant. The attitude is the variable. But with Jesus, there is no constant. With us, the problem is a constant. Our attitude is the variable. If I can at least fix my attitude toward it, but if we can say, God, help me, there is no constant with you. 
you can remove anything. You can help me get over anything. So whatever's bothering me now, the constant that's bothering me now, you can eliminate. You can help me with it. If I'm in your will and, and doing what I should be according to your word, then, then it, 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 it's an issue that can be took care of. So the Bible says he didn't try to make peace with the world. Jesus brought his own peace. It was not go out and, well, they're mad at me for saying this or doing this. God brought his own peace. He brought his own peace. And all the evangelists in their own ways told of a kind of a man who compared a mountain to a, must, a mustard seed and said the seed was bigger. Now, you would have to be with him, Jesus, in his day and understand what he was talking about because you would not get that at all. He's talking about a mountain and a grain of a mustard seed. And he said, if you would just have the grain of a mustard seed of faith, you could move it. And he said, the seed was bigger than the mountain. And you think, what? And what is he talking about? <laughs> but Jesus is saying, if you will just lean into my word, adapt yourself to it, believe in me, let my word do what it is supposed to do, then you can take something that is small as a grain of mustard seed and that mountain in front of you, you can move it. You can move it. You can move it. And the disciples heard him say it. They heard him say it. Now, about the law of the Hebrews... Jesus said, if you heard it said by those of old, but I say unto you. And there was another saying, Master, but there's only five loaves and two fishes. But have you seen this multitude? But he looked at his disciples and said, you know what? You feed them. And there was a time he says, they have no wine, but his disciples said to him, go get the water pots and I'll tell you what I want you to do. Fill them till they won't hold no more water. Fill them. And then the Hosanna, the people cried. But the Pharisees said, Master, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, if they don't sing, the rocks, uh, the rocks will. And again, this may seem unreasonable, but his disciples heard him say it. The rocks will. The rocks will. The rocks will. Lord Lazarus, he's been dead for four days, and by now... You know what's happening. But his disciples heard him say, Lazarus, come forth. And he restricted it to Lazarus. But here is a man. I'm telling you, I don't know what it would have been like. I really don't. That is, I've never seen a dead body raised. And I don't know if I really would like to see that. <laughs> to be honest with you. Especially one that had been dead for four days. They've already got the tomb, and he says, roll the stone back, and you know the man's been in there for four days, and all of a sudden he comes walking out bound or comes hobbling out. I'm telling you, if you had saw that, how could you doubt anything, anything from that point on of the miracles, of the miracles that Jesus done after that? And he, he just... I don't know. I don't really know how I could have took that. It was just like, how could you see that? How could you see that and doubt? I don't know. 
But this, and we know the Bible says human sin required the blood of God. And we know that at that point, God didn't have no blood. But he took, we know in the Old Testament, made himself a body. We see it happening from the Old Testament on. God came, shed his blood. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 6 and 8, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation and took on him the form of a servant who was made in the likeness of men. Being found in the fashion uh, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That was one of the most cruelest means of death that there was. And I don't know what, you know, I don't know if angels has emotions, so to speak. But when heaven, when it come to the point of realization, when heaven realized what it was going to cost to fulfill this need, when they actually realized that God was going to leave heaven and dwell in a human body. I don't know what. We call it sticker shock. I don't know what it really must have been like knowing that God was actually going to leave heaven and dwell in a human body. That had to be, I don't even know what that must have been like. But the price of our redemption was the treasure of the ages, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, the rock of ages, the good shepherd, the alpha and omega. The price tag of our salvation literally was the son of God. God has spared nothing to save us. He didn't hold one thing back. And do you think such love, such profound expense of the spirit could be daunted by our flaws? Do you think heaven would go to such lengths only to be confronted by our sins and say, well, I guess that's just the way it is? Not for a moment. Not for a moment. Grace was given to us. Grace will not be defeated. It has been given to us. God has just found a way for us to be redeemed. And then while it was happening on the hills of Jerusalem, Children going through the streets, fathers was tearing loaves, dipping the pieces down in bitter spices, passing them around the table. The city's leaders was planning an illegal trial, false witness. They was receiving summons as a servant of the high priest was waiting for Judas. And Jesus said with his disciples, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body, my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He did this. Now that we are redeemed by his blood, we cannot simply make peace with the things with the things are in our world. We have been called of that, we've been called out of that kind of darkness into his marvelous light. We must not conform to this world. To all of life's heartaches, it might be tempting to say, that's just the way it is. But if you listen closely, you will hear another. From a dark skull-shaped hill many years ago, the earth shook and our Lord dies. 
And our disciples heard him say, it is finished. And when the Lord said, it is finished, he meant it. Everything that I think that we need to live this Christian life, when he said it is finished, was made available unto us. We can have it. We can have whatever comes our way, whatever comes in front of us. Let's acknowledge the strength that we have. Let's acknowledge what God's word is. It's true. Nothing, nothing can stand against us. If we won't give up or give in or allow the enemy to defeat us or allow our own flesh to defeat us, we can overcome the enemy. We can overcome. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. Let's pray. God of heaven, we thank you this day. We thank you for your word most of all. For it is a strength, Lord God, to our soul. We thank you, God, for what you've given us, Lord God. We praise your name this day, Lord God. I ask you right now to seal this word, God. Thank you for your goodness, Lord God. Thank you for your word that you've implanted in us. Touch this day, Lord God. Strengthen each and every one of us, Lord God. Have your way, Lord God, I pray. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, I pray. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.